Hey everyone, welcome to the Bench Points Podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Damagala. On this episode of the Bench Points, I'm doing another NBA solo session. I'll be talking about the recent Knicks trade, how OKC is changing the NBA, the Spurs' terrible coaching decisions so far, I'll be doing an awards race check-in, and I'll finish it off with a quick complaint on NBA 2K24. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Here comes the bench points. All right. It's Thursday, January 4th, about like 6.30. I, oh, a Spurs and Bucks game is going on on TNT. It's a TNT doubleheader, and then the Warriors uh, versus the Nuggets. We're not really talking about those two teams except for the Spurs. We'll get to that. Right now, I thought I'd start with the topic of the New York Knicks. One of the highest-valued uh, teams is having some struggles as of late, in my opinion. Now, they've recently made a trade, and that's how we're going to start this conversation. Out of nowhere, a little bit last week, an OG Ananobi, Woj Bomb, and Shams Bomb, a little combina- combination, um, they dropped something for this unexpected OG Ananobi and Emmanuel Quickly, RJ Barrett trade. Um, we all knew the Raptors were looking to make a move or they should make a move with, uh, OG Siakam, um, and maybe even Fred Van Vliet last year. And Masai has been kind of resistant to kind of break up the band, the championship band. Uh, I know OG Ananobi did not really play in those playoffs and he wasn't a contributing factor to that team, but throughout his six and a half seasons so far with that team, I mean, that organization, he's made a difference. So when this trade dropped... I was a little surprised of how early it was. This is a this is a late December trade. The deadline's in about February. So to see this trade happen kind of so soon, it's quite interesting to see kind of what the Raptors are going to be planning for their future here. After an outbreak of Scotty Barnes this year, after having a second-year slump, I think they're looking to build around that team with younger assets. And that trade kind of accomplished that. So let's break down. First, let's get down with the pieces of this trade. All right. So the Raptors, they got back from OG Ananobi. They got back RJ Barrett, who is on his first year of his rookie extension. So he played with uh, the Knicks for about four and a half seasons. He's got four years left on that deal, mostly ranging in the high $20 million range. Um, But he's locked down for three and a half more seasons with the Raptors. His native country and City. That's a little bonus there, too, uh, if you're a Raptors fan. Next, the second biggest piece was Emmanuel Quickly. Emmanuel Quickly has just come off uh, a top three voting in six man of the year last year. He's played three and a half seasons with the Knicks, and next year would be a restricted free agent. The Knicks would obviously offer him a qualifying offer, and they would then have the rights to uh, match any offer that would happen during this offseason. And they also got a 2024 second-round pick. Now, the Toronto Raptors sent Precious Achua, who is on his, who played three and a half uh, seasons so far, the first year being with Miami and the last two and a half with um, the Raptors. And Precious Achua is kind of an example of the Raptors maybe making a mistake twice. Precious, Precious Achua came to the Raptors originally after that first year of Miami Heat, with a sign-in trade from Kyle Lowry during the offseason. 
the Raptors did not trade Kyle Lowry in the trade deadline. They waited when they could have gotten multiple firsts, potentially, especially when contenders are wrapping up the season and seeing, do we have a chance? That's typically when you can get more bang for your buck, in my opinion. Um, And so they failed to do that. And so they got Precious Achua and some other random stuff that didn't really matter for much. Then they also sent OG Ananobi, kind of the star piece of this trade. Malachi Flynn, who has three and a half years with the Raptors and then will have this half season with the Knicks if he makes it through it all. Um, And then a 2024 second round pick, which was uh, Detroit's own pick. That could be a very early first uh, second round pick. But in the grand scheme of the New York Knicks draft capital, it had to be done. So giving, you know, the whole briefing on the whole trade so far, what do I think about it? Honestly, that is as fair as trades come. If OG Ananobi declines his option this offseason, which he will, which is about $18 million because he will get more and more long-term contracts this offseason, he'll decline that, making him unrestricted. But I th- believe, I would hope, the Knicks made this move uh as a stepping stone to get him under their wings for half season, kind of make it clear before they did this trade to kind of peg uh, OG Ananobi's interest on playing in New York. Um, So that's the top key factor of OG Ananobi staying. Emmanuel quickly, on the other hand, I think is something to worry about as well. He is going to be restricted this off season. And I think he wants to be a starting point guard at a team. He he started, uh, I think two nights ago or last night, Played very decent, but Emmanuel quickly is a small guard. He's very good scoring options. I don't know how he can do defensively, but he has some potential to become valuable to a team. Is it going to be your franchise starting point guard? That's a good question because you also have Scotty Barnes, who is dishing out maybe like eight assists a game some nights. So looking at that trade for the Raptors, you could say the predicted starting lineup, which they've played already, would be Emmanuel quickly. R.J. Barrett now moving into the two position. He's mostly been playing at the three when it's come to the New York Knicks with Dante DiVincenzo playing at the two. And then uh, Scotty Barnes, Siakam, and Pirtle, and then so on with the bench. Um, I've been a little annoyed with the Raptors as of late um, this, this season and the season before that. They don't play many guards. They they stick to big men. Looking at some scores of a, of a box score once, I believe, they played off the bench. Thaddeus Young, Chris Boucher, um, Otto Porter Jr., a bunch of other big men that have no ball handling skills. You look at the Raptors bench after this trade now, they have Dennis Schroeder, who's on contract again for next year, who I think is a decent point guard, deserves to be in the league, definitely would take him as a backup. And then you got Gary Trent Jr., who's going to be on his last year of his contract. I don't know what to expect from him. He's His career's kind of vanished vanished he used to be a 3 and D guy when he was on the Blazers and a little bit there for the Raptors when he was initially traded but he hasn't really picked that up since and he hasn't been shooting insanely well kind of in a plateau of his career right now so what do I feel Raptors I might have to give you the higher grade you're making moves that should better the team and prepare for the future you have a new coach you've got a, a newly assembled roster I think next to consider is obviously the Siakam thing 
reports recently came out about teams being a little bit hesitant to field uh, the trade offers or be interested in uh, trading for Siakam, not knowing what's he going to do this offseason. Siakam has kind of made that clear to um, front offices or just other teams that he's going to field his options in the open market this offseason. He should look for the longevity contracts. There's always a chance that you could get a Tobias Harris, Gordon Hayward contract, something like that. You know, Harrison Barnes has done that a couple times too, where I see an option at the end of his contract and I'm looking how big that is. I'm like, well, he's not worth that money. He'll definitely accept it. But what we see now a lot of is they'll decline the option. A lot of these players keep that player option for their own safety if they have a career-ending injury, but also allows them to decline that option and reevaluate with the new um, cap high uh, TV contracts. Money in the league is going up every year. And so when I saw Harrison Barnes decline that one time with, uh, I believe, the Kings, I'm, I'm like, what is he doing? But he declines it to get more money for more years. And it's a strategy that a lot of them will do. It's a great strategy. Like if I was signing a rookie extension like Jason Tatum or something is an example of who does it the right way. And he's got a max, so he had to qualify for that. I'm not even just talking about that. You sign a five-year deal, which is smart, but I think you should always keep that fifth year as a fully guaranteed player option. Decline it, reevaluate to the new standards if there's a new uh, contract agreement between the Players Association and the NBA. That will go up with the next extension. There's certain qualifications with all-star appearances, all-NBA selections, but it's always a wise idea. So I hope the Raptors, I I enjoy Siakam there. I don't want him to get traded, but it doesn't really make much sense for him to stay there currently. Maybe that's a Warriors trade. Is that a Wiggins-Kaminga combo? We can discuss that at a later time as we (laughs) approach the, the deadline here. Now let's move on to the New York Knicks. Some people might know, not know this, but they're my second favorite team. I don't watch them as much as the Warriors. I get a little bit annoyed with this team, with the front office and coaching decisions and what they do with the players. We'll get into that. I'm very, very excited for the OG Ananobi edition. He's played a couple good games so far. I think both wins against the Bulls and then uh, against the Timberwolves, which is always impressive. Um, so OG Ananobi is going to bring some much-needed size and hopefully become our best wing defender, uh, perimeter defender, or maybe best defender uh, on the team. It's it's not hard competition. Um, and so the main goal with that is obviously to re-sign him. He, he was mentioned that he was looking between the 30 to $40 million range. $40 million sounds a little outrageous due to his offensive limitations, you could say. He did come uh, to this trade looking for a more offensive uh a more offensive load, wanting to take more shots. And I don't mind him taking these middies, and it, it's great. I would love for him to find a shot. But with how dominant um, Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson are with the ball, I don't imagine he's going to get much of an increase, but things can happen throughout the season. All right. Now, with the Mitchell Robinson injury, I think a factor of this trade also has to be looked at as a plus. Getting another center as in Precious to kind of cover the load of Isaiah Harstein, who's been playing very good decently. I would have loved Mitchell Robinson to stay on for the whole year. Obviously, he's got a career and not a career, a season-ending injury, so we have to deal with what we have. And Isaiah Harstein is very qualified backup center and has actually played very decently. He's gotten a couple green beans if you play any uh, fantasy out there. He's been playing very decently, getting important blocks, defending the rim, and 
overall, I think, has a pretty high basketball IQ. Now, looking at the other things, Precious Achua is playing center. We're going to need him to play because we just brought Todd Gibson back because Tibbs couldn't help himself. I don't want Todd Gibson to play. I'd rather have Sims play, and we know how resistant he can be to that, Tibbs, I mean, resistant to playing younger people. And that's another reason why I get a little frustrated with this team. The last piece was Malachi Flynn. Malachi Flynn, I always remember when he was with the Raptors, his dad either gave it to a reporter or used to tweet out how frustrated he was with uh, the usage of his son. It was a backed-up guard rotation back in the day. Fred, Kyle, all these other things. Batoon, I think, from uh, who's now on the Celtics, a Toronto native. He was also playing some time, Gary Trent, all that. Malachi has actually played playing in most games so far this season. Currently hasn't made his Knicks debut dealing with an injury. But I looked at that Malachi Flynn as a potential to fill the void of the Emmanuel quickly backup guard position. And before we could even give a chance to do so, the New York Knicks made another interesting move. They decided to extend their second-round third-year player, Miles McBride, to a friendly contract, it's going to be three years of $4 million each year. That's not a lot when we come to NBA terms of it. But I found it kind of interesting to do that before the season's over. I, I see no rush. I don't I don't imagine the Miles McBride market is going to be heating up this summer. And so I was a little bit frustrated and puzzled by the move to secure him in a contract so soon when I would have liked to see him play a little bit longer with these extra minutes that he would have uh, been acquiring from the recent trade. And I would have liked to see Malachi Flynn. I don't think Malachi Flynn deserves to be out of the league next year. He needs to be in the league. He's fundamental. I enjoy his pick and rolls when he does it. I kind of wanted them to battle it out there, you know, before we rush to um, the extension. And I know that doesn't really mean much to Tibbs when it comes to extensions, because we can see that from... Evan Fournier, who is getting paid $17 million a year this year and next, that he doesn't really care how much a player makes on the team. If you play, you play. So, Knicks, Raptors. Kind of an even trade. Let me vent about a couple more New York Knicks things that's just been bothering me. Now, seeing Tibbs for so long from the Bulls all the way to his time with the Timberwolves, which I was, I think I was there for the last Tibbs game ever against the Lakers when, when he uh, got fired later uh, in the afternoon in his office. It, he frustrates me in this way. He does not develop youth. He's very hesitant to play youth, and we've known this for forever. Um, we can say it's a little bit different when you have to play Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns every single game, 36 minutes a night. We get that. But I'm more talking about the second-round picks, first-round picks. It's hard for them to develop. Now we look at Emmanuel quickly, who developed very great, but that's because we brought him on with so many minutes right away. Obi Toppin, a decent player that the Knicks traded away because they didn't want to pay for him as well this offseason to the Pacers. Developing pretty good. Playing definitely more minutes than he would have played with the Knicks. It was so frustrating. I, I went to a Knicks game a couple years ago with my father, and he looks at me and says, why doesn't this guy play more? He, Obi Toppin probably is playing like a quarter of a game, 12 minutes. And I said the same thing, his burst of energy and all that. But you got to realize he's playing behind a all-NBA Julius Randle, and I get that too. But he can play the three and all this stuff. It, it can get very frustrating. So not playing that 
Not playing Sims, the Minneapolis native, can be a little frustrating. I don't know where the minutes are going to come right now if Tibbs is going to be rocking with Precious for the whole time. Sims might just have to be a, a great third stringer right now because I don't need Todd to play at all. Um, This is more of a unique one, maybe a personal one, but I just I don't enjoy when Tibbs doesn't play some of the other players during garbage time. Like the players who do not play, he doesn't get in for uh, garbage time. I'm like, what are you paying him for? Let's make the contract a little bit worth it. Get these guys on. Just it's it's always good to see some new players, and I, I maybe this is the two K part of me talking. I just like to see these game stats uh, racked up and the amount of games people have played racked up. But um, it can be very frustrating, especially for how little he plays the bench sometimes, except for some key people. That leads me into my last one of my not not my last thing. I actually got so many more riffs to go off, but. Why the last thing about the trade real quick. The Josh Hart piece of this trade needs to be considered. Josh Hart will be now be going into his next contract extension this uh, next year, which is ramping up, I think, starting at $18 million. That's less than RJ and a guy who's maybe at the same level, not better, but maybe at the same level as RJ Barrett. So that frees up some uh, financial moves for the Knicks, which... Almost like it'd just be covered up with OG and Anobi contract. But it we had a little redundancy with Josh Hart, DiVincenzo, and RJ Barrett, all three out there. We Not at the same time, but just having them in the rotation. I think it was a great move to allow Josh Hart to continue to, to blossom in that role because he's a valued member of the team. All right, I've got some front office frustrations too. I think it was Fred Kratz, who used to do Washington uh, Wizards, but now doing a New York Knicks beat writer, maybe for the Athletic. I apologize. But after the trade, he mentioned that uh, Leon Rose, the president of basketball uh, and for the New York Knicks, hasn't talked to the media since 2021, has declined to do you know the podium interviews, all that stuff. He has not done it since 2021. We're in 2024, if you forgot. He doesn't talk about trades, and that can be frustrating for a fan. I know they're most the most valued uh, franchise out there, except for the Warriors, but it's got to hurt the fanship a little bit. And uh, Dolan's a very interesting team owner who doesn't really give a shit, knowing that his team is always going to be very valuable and people are going to care. But I find it to be the wrong move. I believe when Dante DiVincenzo like, got introduced, they didn't even do a press conference for him either. What the hell? Get the fans up. Provide some. It changes the whole franchise. You got to keep it positive. When I when I look at the, it's a little biased, but when I look at the Warriors franchise, they hire so many former players. They bring them in. Um, they develop players. Um but they answer questions. They have a good uh, relationship with the media. Um, with that comes good reflections in the media and allows the team to uh, kind of get its own persona from casual fans who might not know about it. So I think it's a good idea. Not only does he frustrate me, but he also signs some whack players. And I don't know how much Tibbs has an influence on this. But, for example, who was recently waived, um, Daquan Jeffries was on this team last year and this year. He just got waived, thankfully so. Like, what are we doing wasting our time? Tibbs is never, never, never going to play him. And we already know what he's capable of. Get rid of it. Ryan Archinacchio, I just butchered that. But there's too many letters in that name. He was recently traded last year to the Portland Trailblazers from the Knicks. 
and now they just brought him back this offseason. He's got some Villanova connections with Dante DiVincenzo, Jalen Brunson, Josh Hart. They love him. He's, he does have good energy, but again, we see what this player is capable of. And if we want to find some diamonds in the rough, or if we want to see if we can expand our roster, continuing to bring on guys that we know what the cap is, doesn't seem very beneficial. I'm not as angry about the Ryan move because I do think he brings great energy. And when he plays out there, he's not a terrible point guard. He really isn't, but he doesn't deserve to play. All right, I got two other players we got to talk about real quick. Charlie Brown Jr. on a two-way contract. What are we doing? Again, we we know who he is. He's not going to blossom in anything. Wave him, move on. It's a two-way player. Tibbs isn't going to play him, so it's fine. But it just r- rubs me the wrong way a little bit there. And lastly, the French uh, French queen, Evan Fournier. Evan Fournier's got two years left on this contract, including this year. Frustrated, hates the team. Rarely see him smile on the bench, even when we're doing clutch moments. Does he care? I mean, I get it. And I bet he came from a country that was probably like the best prospect ever at the time. You know, and so I don't know what the move is there. You kind of have to keep him this year. His contract is fully guaranteed next year. Do you keep him still on the team? Is it worth it? Is his, his value to keep on the team enough compared to just paying someone a minimum and then just waiving the $19 million? I think that's something to debate this offseason. All right. I've done enough Knicks talk. I've gotten out of my system. You hear me on these frustrations. I got to keep it positive because I do think there's a new light with this team. Hopefully Julius and uh, Jalen Brunson can combine for an all-star team this year. Um, And hopefully the Knicks can make it at least past the second round. All right, I'm going to take a break. And then I'm going to come back to talk about another blossoming team. OKC. I have to say this. I think OKC is on the verge of changing NBA basketball. There's players with unique size and capabilities. There's positionless basketball. And there is a team stacked with the most draft capital you might have ever seen. And at the same time, they go from not making the playoffs a couple years to turning it on this year and getting the top three uh, seat currently in the West. The switch of a small market team with OKC is so fascinating. I kind of compare OKC to the Packers. I am obviously from Minnesota and I don't like the Packers. I they do they do annoy me and I do enjoy when the Vikings beat them. But I kind of respect the franchise and the fan base. A small market, but loyal fans sold out every single year, every single game. It means a lot in the town. It's a way of life. With OKC after um the Seattle transition, they've had stars run through it the whole time that they've been there. Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Serge Ibaka, if you want to call it. Um, Chris Paul, Shea, Paul George, a bunch of stars. Al Horford even for a little bit there, if people forget. So many interesting players that don't really go through a lot of teams. But for some reason, OKC has always had something in its pocket. So let's talk about how they're changing basketball. With any basketball team, we know it kind of comes down to the players. As I mentioned before, the unique body types, the 
unique play styles, the ability to have so many ball handlers, to have so many people that are confident with the rock is kind of special into this team. I think when we look at that uniqueness, I think our minds go right to the seven foot tall Chet Holmgren, Minnesota native, uh, first year player, second year in the NBA, already a defensive player of the year candidate, rookie of the year favorite, and leading this team as a defensive anchor in the paint and bringing himself outside of the circle to still stretch the floor at the same time. With the OKC starting lineup, I find it very interesting too, you know, you have Shea, Giddy, Dort, and then the Jalen Williams, Jalen Williams being the Santa Clara Jalen Williams, the smaller one. Um, and then you have Chet. Jalen Williams came into this league as like a small forward slash shooting guard and sometimes played point guard. He's a ball handler too. For them in the starting lineup, he's basically playing the four. Guarding bigger man. Um, it's kind of difficult. Because then you have Lou Dort as well. Lou Dort's very small too, but he's kind of built like an NFL player, solid base. That five is very interesting because there's not really a true center. Chet Holmgren doesn't probably weighs as much as Dort. You know, doesn't have much meat on the bones, and he plays center. But sometimes I, I look at that team and I wonder, what would he look like uh, as a power forward, complemented by a bigger big, a stronger big. It allows maybe Chet to come uh, in for the help on those blocks from the side. Chet can still stretch the floor, um, allowing the big men to stay in the paint um, to allow some more free-flowing offense and the drives from Shea, which he's so known for. I also look at the other Jalen Williams, the center Jalen Williams, being the only kind of true center on the team, and he even came in a little bit as a power forward. Now, OKC has always had some rebounding trouble. They were almost dead last last year too and I imagine they're still having that struggle and will continue to have that struggle if a move maybe isn't made they don't really have much big men Kendrick Will- Kendrich Williams uh, more of a small forward power forward guy who is defensive minded kind of guards the bigger men but no other player is going in there. what are they going to play Poku they got another unique player who doesn't play that they wasted a draft pick on. And he can't guard someone either. They have no no really strength down the paint. No no strong rebounder. And I think we have to evaluate that and, and think about when should they make a move. That leads into the next topic. We got to talk about these draft picks. They have 18 first round picks till 2030. A lot of picks. And a lot of them good. You kind of wonder when Presti feels like he's going to make a move. I remember watching the press conference, I think from this summer of Presti, just talking about their moves. And the question always comes up from reporters is about, okay, you have all these picks. What's the move? If you guys are going to start playing well, do you have a mindset of wanting to buy in immediately? His kind of answer was talking about, we don't know what we have just yet on a lot of these young guys. There's many first-round picks on this team that are not playing currently, draft picks that are not playing, Trey Mann, Poku, uh, Diang, all these other players that aren't playing because we don't really – they don't have room in the rotation. Um, and so that's a question that uh, comes up in my head because I think a center is probably the move. I don't – in 2K when I play, I usually go for BAM for this team, but that's unrealistic for how much that means for the Heat 
Um, but I do believe they would have maybe the assets if they were looking to blow it up, the heat, I mean. But they have Jimmy Butler, so that's not allowed at the time. So my mind turns to some other players. Would this be a team for Siakam? Would Siakam want to join a small market like that? I, he seems kind of like one of the superstars that would be okay okay, where he is um, when it comes to a small market, not really caring about that as much, more focused on a uh, team and winning. Um, I also wrote down, if only Robert Williams III, if he didn't have that season-ending injury with a cheap contract, that could be a potential Bertans swap in there because they also are doing that and they're still OKC is still taking on terrible contracts to gain extra capital they did that with Bertans they've done that previously um I wonder when that will stop too they did that with Kemba Walker and all that stuff these rookie contracts are only gonna last a couple more years and then you have to pay some and that's also in Presti's head he's on the clock for that as well um and so I got another idea it can't be Robert Williams it won't be Bam it could be Siakam. You could also go for the cheap Jared Allen contract. It's going to be twenty million for next three or four years straight, just staying at twenty. Rim defender, stronger rebounder than anyone they have on the team. How does Cleveland look at this? Does Cleveland look at this as a positive way? Let's unlock Evan Mobley from the four to the five, provide him with more offense. Or does Cleveland kind of look at uh, Jared Allen as a st- as their main piece? We're not going to get into Cleveland's struggles, but I think Jared Allen could potentially be a suitor if the Cavs kind of realize what this Mitchell situation is and realize they need to move on, build around Garland and Mobley solely. Interesting things to ponder. I think the final question with OKC is, how long do we want to wait for them to become contenders. They're definitely making the playoffs this year. They could easily make it to the conference finals. And who knows after that Celtics game. If they're finals contenders. To even make it there. They have all these talented young players. Chet. Both Jalen Williams. All these other rotation players. Carson Wallace the rookie. There's limited time on these contracts where you can keep all these players and continue to pay them. They pay Lou Dort a lot. They play. They pay Shea a lot right now. There's a couple of useless contracts at the bottom there. Money's going to be needed to free up, and some choices are going to have to be made on who's keeping and who's going. And that might have to cause some trades, and you might have to look at that as we need to go now before we have to get rid of all this talent or let go of all this talent. I understand they have draft picks coming in and they can continue the cycle. But what does that build? What are we doing? We're just running the repeated pattern? Sam Presti knows, and we know, the main goal of every NBA season is to win it all. I think if it's not this year, next year, if this team does not make a move, I think we need to consider Sam Presti being the GOAT of getting all these draft picks, being the GOAT of getting all these uh, GM praise. Something to think about. We're going to take a break, and I'll be right back with some San Antonio Spurs problems. It's a problem podcast, I guess. Not a lot of positive. I just said something positive about OKC and Knicks. We're going to be a little dark on the west side.
that might be forgotten this year. The San Antonio Spurs, coming in with the number one overall prospect in years, Victor Wembanyama, kind of doesn't even make me want to watch him anymore. Not because of him, but because of these coaching and rotation problems I'm seeing. It is god-awful to watch Jeremy Sochan bring the ball up and miss Wembenyama on so many looks that maybe would have been produced with another regular point guard. Is Pop allergic to starting Trey Jones? Does a, a guard that has nailed the assist-to-turnover ratio multiple years so far and that you've assigned to an extension this summer sound so bad to start against a prospect that could use a ball handler to distribute to him? I'm lost. I don't know if it's due to his old age. I'm confused on so many rotation questions in this. They refuse to start a normal point guard. They refuse to do a five-man lineup that kind of makes sense. They have a guy who's on a veteran extension, Keldon Johnson, who is now all of a sudden coming off the bench and still playing as good. There's no player on that team that deserves to start over Keldon Johnson at his position. Vassell is playing decent, and he deserves to stay at the 2-3. and three. He deserves to stay in the lineup, which Pop has not made that mistake yet. But it's very frustrating to see the obvious problems right in your face and him to continue to change the lineups in ways that don't impact the team in the right way. I have a theory that is Pop doing this because he wants to get one more first overall pick, leave the franchise with something, a future, and then just dip. He's old. He's got an extension. I get that. Um, but what what other reason is he doing this to, to do this? I, it makes no sense. In an ideal world, I would love for them to start Jones, Vassell, Johnson, Wemby, and Zach Collins. Again, another player he just extended once again to a high $17 million contract next year. It's the same thing with Chet and Wemby. I think I kind of enjoy them playing the four and the five, but having a traditional five that can complement them. Collins can shoot, which is even better and maybe even a stronger reason to consider him over uh, any other center I mentioned with OKC. But move Sohan to the bench. There's no point in him playing. Give him some spark off the bench. I would put Sohan, Chetty, uh, Branham, Graham. I'm even saying to play Devontae Graham. You need to. He's another guard that needs to run in this rotation. Don't be like the Raptors. You don't have to go size the whole time. Big guards can, I mean, small guards can be a problem for defenders too. And get Doug McDermott still in there too. He deserves to play. Shooting range is crazy. And then add add a couple other players. Uh, I would maybe play Champagne. You can't play Basie because he's gone for the rest of the season. Stop playing Barlow. Um, it's just, it's so disappointing and a little bit frustrating. I'm not even that big of a fan of the Spurs, but I just respect their organization and I respect the prospects and their development so far. What are they doing? That's my quick segment on them. It had to be said. I've got nothing positive to say right now. They're, I think they're playing against the Bucks right now. It's Wemby's 20th birthday. I don't imagine it's going well. We'll take one more break, or maybe another one, depending on how much out of breath I get. 
I'm going to come back and we're going to talk about some awards this season. All right. Most teams are close, not there yet, but close to getting halfway through through the season. I believe when the New Year's hit, every team was about 39% of the way through through their games this season. With that comes a, a look at some awards. Now today we're not talking MVP. We're not talking Rookie of the Year. We're for sure not talking about Clutch Player of the Year or all the other stupid awards that Adam Silver made up and all the other trophies for highest free throw percentage that you get a little uh, see-through disc for or the best dunk of the year or all these random reactions that he's doing it for more viral clips and taking away from the game and kind of re- diminishing a little bit of hard work for other awards. We're not talking about that stuff today. That important stuff is going to be left alone. Today, we're talking about one of my favorite awards, the Sixth Man of the Year Award, the Most Improved Player, and Defensive Player of the Year. I think all three of those are always more intriguing races than the MVP. Typically with the MVP, at least for the past five years, it's kind of been obvious on who we want. It's been maybe a one-to-two-man race, but with a clear winner always in the back of our minds. Let's go with the most improved player right away. I think it needs to be said, but before I do anything, no, I do not think any second-year player is going to be most improved player. No second-year player deserves to be most improved player. You're a young player. I sure sure as hell hope you're getting better on the second year. And that comes with a little of of debate when it comes to uh, third- and fourth-year players winning this award. I think that needs to be mentioned. I, I kind of enjoy... When players who are out of their rookie contract come back in a way to win this award. For example, Julius Randle, Lowry Marketin. Um In the recent years, the only thing I can remember off the top of my head is when John Morant won it. And that was like his like third year of his uh, playing career. Brandon Ingram won it his fourth year when he uh, switched to New Orleans. Which can be fun. But some of these players don't really deserve it. So if you're shocked if I mention some young talent um, that you think has improved so much that they need to be in uh, this race, you got to hope they improve. I do have some on here. Three, four of these players. Wait. No, actually, all five of these players, these most improved candidates that I have, are all currently on their rookie scale contracts. First one, Tyrese Maxey. Tyrese Maxey last year with James Harden being the main ball handler only played 60 games and started 41. In that, he had 20 points per game, three rebounds, almost four assists with one steal. He shot 48, 43, and 85. Those percentages are going to be hard to beat. But looking at his stats this year, he started as point guard this year, played every game. Minutes are up. Field percentage is down, though, to 46%. Three-point percentage is also down. And we we can uh, show that to four more te- shot attempts. I mean, that's just going to happen. 39%, though, from three. Free throw percentage is up to 87, though. Looking at the stats, we got 26 points per game, four rebounds, six assists, one steal, and almost one block. 
with 1.5 turnovers. 1.5 turnovers is insane for that usage as well, and we're not even going to get into that to a future candidate, Tyrese Halliburton, but steadily improving and moving his team up high into the East. Right now, personally, he is the vote for me for most improved player. Fourth year, coming into a new role, boosting his team to higher contention, and taking on a reign that maybe not all of us expected him to do at such an efficient level. Tyrese Maxey, if I could vote, you'd have my vote. Moving on to a center. Can you guess him? Houston Rockets player. Third year, Sangoon. This man was selected higher than Jalen Green, his counterpart, his rookie counterpart, passed along from OKC because they didn't want him after they selected him, and is now in Houston Rockets playing starting 32 games this year, averaging 22 points, 9 rebounds, 5 assists, 1 steal, 1 block, and shooting 73 from the free throw, 30 from the 3, needs some work, He's very paint-dominant as well. And and, uh, 55% from the field. Last year, uh, 15 points per game. Nine rebounds, four assists. Not much of a difference there. Points a little bit, assists a little bit. I would say the bigger impact is um, the winning percentage of this team. He's probably the best player on the team. Other than Fred Van Vliet, and then I would potentially put uh, Delon Brooks, and then Jabari, um, and then we can get a whole debate of Jalen Green as well. Sangoon will definitely be in the top three of contention for this year. He's going to secure a contract this offseason, a fat one, because they need this man to stay. He is a centerpiece, and will. I bet many GMs are licking their lick, lips to get a taste at this guy and try and add him to his team. The mini Jokic, these European bigs are developing into a play style that can be beneficial and long-lasting for their careers and for the team. Sangoon, I have a second. Third-year player as well for this next one, and it, even though I said this rule right in the beginning about second-year players, which I'm not going to mention a second-year player, the young talent outburst this year is hard to deny to bring up someone out of their rookie scale contract and say they've improved more than these other players. So beware. These are all going to be still on rookie scale. All right, Scotty Barnes. We had a little bit of Raptor talk earlier in this pod. The man is the face of the franchise now. Ball handling, playing the three, but bringing it up as the one. Dishing and um, kind of looking for his own shot that we didn't see before. His sophomore year, in a way from many, was disappointing. He came in first year, actually took away the Rookie of the Year, and I was even shocked when the Raptors took him over uh, Jalen Suggs with the fourth overall pick. Um, And he's coming in with a uh, six-point-per-game improvement, three rebounds more, one assist more, so that's up to 5.8. Shooting better in every area, especially three. He shot 28% last year. Now shooting 39%. My friend Tyler also just asked me if I want him on my fantasy team. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to be definitely monitoring the Scotty Barnes 
uh, thing. It's soon to be his franchise. We'll see after this trade deadline if Masai decides to make the Hal- uh, the not Halliburton move, the Siakam move. Fourth player. This one stings a little bit due to the Warriors selecting Jonathan Kaminga instead of this man. I still have a lot of Kaminga love. I can't re- reminisce about the past. You could also look at these next two picks as also being Warriors mistakes. But this guy, Franz Wagner. Better than his brother. Both playing on the Orlando Magic. Both leading almost a sixth defensive team. Zach, the friend of the pod, y'all know him. He traded away uh, Jimmy Butler for Franz Wagner and Bradley Beal. I question that. I'm looking at Franz's box scores, and I haven't missed a single box score of any game since 2015. I'm talking preseason. I'm talking summer league. I'm talking everything. I know when I'm going to look at an Orlando Magic box score that I'm going to get 25-5 and guaranteed every night, no matter what it is from him. Except previously, he just went out with an injury and played five minutes. I get that. that Things happen. He's huge. He knows what he's doing. Another European player. Maybe seeing a trend here. Continuing to mature and leading to this Orlando Magic team with Paolo. To an Eastern Conference that can be viewed as weak. So there's definitely a chance that they're going to make the playoffs. And we have to start thinking about potentially making it to the second round for this team. They played the Warriors last night. Franz was definitely annoying to watch because he was very dominant in ways. He hit Steph Curry, which should have been a flagrant, but, you know, who cares? Who cares? Franz Wagner, late in the contention for this award, but something to recognize. Finally, I'll leave it at the player who's probably been playing the best out of all these players but had such an impressive season last year, it is unlikely unlikely that I see uh, him winning this award. You might have guessed it. Tyrese Halliburton. I think this man has dropped how many 20 and 10s with zero turnovers? He just did 20 and 20, I think, the other night with zero. He has found his place, and after a, an all-star selection last year and a full season with the Pacers, which I did not enjoy how much they rested him near the end of the season, um, has found his groove and has made himself a franchise player as well. We see Scotty Barnes doing the same thing. Uh, Halliburton has taken that on even more seriously. Um, he looks amazing. He's so confident, especially against the Milwaukee Bucks. I could watch those two teams play and beef it out at almost every night. It, it, it's very exciting to watch. He's a very positive guy, smart fellow. Um, and a joy to have out there in the Eastern Conference. We've mentioned I've mentioned this in the last uh, podcast about that trade, so I won't get into depth about it. But do you wonder if there's King's regrets, or do they just truly believe behind the scenes that this is never going to work? We have to move on. Can I say that maybe it should have been Halliburton over De'Aaron Fox when De'Aaron Fox is almost having an All NBA season again? It's it's a tough call. It's a tough call. All right, that's going to do it for Most Improved. I've got a little bit more time. Let's talk about the sixth man of the year. I think this is one of my favorite roles because I I just enjoy the bench scoring. I used to be obsessed with Lou Will, Montrez, Jamal, all, all Clippers guys too. 
Um, I always wanted Andre to win it. It was a battle between Eric Gordon on the Rockets at the time. It was always intriguing to me to see that most important sixth person coming off the bench because it was always given to a contention team because most improved player, that doesn't always go to it. Rookie of the year, that doesn't always go to it. Sixth man of the year, they typically give it to someone who's not doing garbage, uh, garbage points on a garbage team. This list will surprise you. First, I see Malik Monk. Again, had an amazing night last year. Actually has come off the bench every single game so far with his two seasons with the Kings. Delightful score. Great complimentary player to uh, De'Aaron Fox when he's off the floor. Both Kentucky guys and also went to college at the same time. He's great. I don't know what the pull is. He's very under the radar for some. Um, I don't think people want to see maybe Malik Monk win this. Um, it's not as interesting. They might want to see the second candidate, Austin Reeves. But I think Monk has some things. I'm going to tell you his stats, and then we'll go to um, Austin Reeves. So in 32 games so far, he's playing 25 minutes a game, shooting 45% from the field, 42 from three. 88 from free throw and averaging 15 points a game. Three rebounds and five assists. Kind of taking on a bigger role from that. Um, Almost one steal and almost one block as well. Averaging more turnovers though uh, at 2.2 than Maxi does as starting ball handler. (laughs) Let's move on to um, Austin Reeves here for a second. Lakers are having some coaching drama. There's some uh. Reeves and Ham head coaching drama that they're not really seeing eye to eye. They didn't enjoy the bench move. And if you're a strong player, you probably shouldn't enjoy that. You should want to play. And seeing someone else start over you should anger you. So I, I have to respect that. And I can't um, really read into that in any way. Austin Reeves. He started the season and then they kind of slowly moved him into the bench role. So out of the 35 games that they've played, he's only started 10 of them. Very, very similar stats to Malik Monk. Shooting 48% from three. I mean, oh my God. 48% from the field. 36% from the three. 88 from the free throw. 15, five, and five. Almost identical. Who do I see as being better? Uh, To me, on this award, it impacts winning. Uh, The Kings have a better record. So right now, I'd give Malik Monk over that third guy this is gonna surprise you i don't know if you're thinking about him that much but he's kind of patent stacking some stats here y'all also he's the charge leader in the whole league right now tim hardaway jr averaging more points than both those two guys that i've mentioned at 17 points per game four rebounds two assists he is shooting 41 percent from the field 35 from three in 87 those shooting percentages are a lot worse but he's just getting a lot of um looks from Luca, and that can be hard not coming off the dribble like these other two guys are I know that's what Tim Hardaway Jr. is made for is catch and shoot and an intriguing dark horse in this race I believe I've always been a fan when he went Three years to the Knicks, then three years back to the Hawks, and then back to the Knicks, and then been in Dallas for so long now. Just a guy who's collected 
very interesting contracts like Harrison Barnes, where it's just constant money, has a sick Miami house. Um, a guy I've just liked. Is there some bias in there? I don't know. These stats kind of say a lot, though, don't you? Doesn't You weren't really expecting that as much. Sixth man of the year. Very fun. I look forward to seeing who's going to win it right now. Due to, the, I think, the L.A. pull. If the Lakers turn it around, I think Reeves will take it. Last award. We're going to end it on this for when it, for the awards race check-in. Later on, I think it's only right to do a little rookie of the year and MVP talk. Do I dare say it? Do I dare want a guy who gets turned around by Stephen Curry, doesn't do as much when he's not in the paint? Do I dare say Rudy Gobert is probably leading the league in defensive player of the year candidacy I mean the man has turned it on I've mentioned in this podcast previously about his hands and him anchoring this whole team I think people are picking up on his energy I think Ant feeds off of it I think Jaden McDaniels is a great complimentary player to him um he's got a Carl Anthony Towns partner who takes on some of that size as well that kind of helps him in ways I was not expecting this and I hate to do it since I think he kind of stole some from Draymond Green at least. He could potentially win another defensive player of the year. And it would be the a very interesting player to win so many defensive player of the years and see who he is in some film. I've got him down though for that. He might be at the top of contention. Right now, he's averaging 13 points, 12 rebounds, and 2 blocks for a West-leading Timberwolves. That matters as well. Great defense. You have to take that into consideration for this kind of award. Quickly going through it, we've already talked to him a little bit today. Chetty. Out of nowhere, this kid has blossomed right away into not only an offensive anchor for this team, but a defensive anchor. Taking on 2.6 blocks a game. I'm not even surprised when I check box scores and I see, oh, look, Chet Chet got seven blocks tonight again. They'll learn. They'll learn. And with all these players that have a breakout year, the next year is the real, uh, it'll really tell you who the player is. Because this first year, you're not sure, okay, how does this player work? And then teams get into the film. And then the next year, um, They'll play you the way you were. And it's up to that player to adjust and continue to grow. In in my mind, I kind of reference the Jordan Poole thing. Jordan Poole went off for a season, came back crazy good, but he kind of is red now. We look at him in the Wizards. I just recently dropped him on my fantasy team because he's so trash. Players kind of know what he's going to do. He's going to dribble around. He's going to use his speed. He's going to do the in and out. And then he's just going to make some bad plays if things doesn't go right. He's not going to play defense. Do I think that's going to happen with Chet? And Chet's a complicated player. His body's different than Jordan Poole. I think he's going to adjust in many ways and also comes down to the roster breakdown. I'd be amazed to see someone win Rookie of the Year and Defensive Player of the Year in their first year. I'm kind of cheering for that in the background a little bit. I've got one other player to mention. The dark horse, something that people have not been talking about enough, 
due to the record. Almost 500, though. Anthony Davis. Out of the 35 games so far this season, Anthony Davis has played 33. I think he's technically missed less games than Steph Curry in like the past five years, and we still view him as what? Injury prone. Anthony Davis, I believe, is leading the league in blocks at 2.7 now. 25 points per game, 13 rebounds, 3 assists, 1 steal, almost 3 blocks. When he's on, he's on. And why do we keep saying that? I don't know, because it seems like he's on every night this year. A man who's never wanted to play center is still playing center, being the rock. This team wouldn't be anywhere. They would be so far down on the standings without the support of this healthy big man. So happy to see him playing this way. Actually, I think I'd kind of like to see that comeback of getting him Defensive Player of the Year. That's my vote. We're going to end it on one quick NBA 2K complaint. I got to get this off my chest. A lot of complaining. I know. Alright, as some of you may know, when I game, I mostly play 2K. And when it comes to 2K, I don't play my career anymore. I used to play it so many years ago. This is probably my sixth 2K game. I used to play that. I used to play my team. Played a little my park. Never really got into it that heavily because I wasn't great. Um, but now I mostly switch my focus to something called my league. And in my league, you're basically doing a simulation of a whole team. You can make trades. You can play games. But you're not doing my GM. You don't have to answer to players. You don't have to do any like cutscenes or anything like that. It's fully your control. You can do whatever. That has that is how I've been spending my last four years basically on 2K, strictly playing that. I could potentially go a whole year of 2K, not even playing the actual game. I seriously just simulate stats, I simulate minutes, and that's all I do. I'm kind of a weirdo with that, but I need it. I just love doing it. It drums up ideas for this podcast. It's something to get my head off. You can't just do it online on websites and just create that team because then I also like to see the simulation of that. You can sign players and all that stuff. I've got some complaints. I didn't pay $60 this year. I wait for the reducing. But they don't do shit ever for this game. They do some my career stuff, and I understand the focus on that and the importance because that's where the VC is at. I get that. People spend their money on that. But come on. They don't even update the player profile pictures. I still got some from two years ago of a player. Not only that, but as you know, NBA has added a third two-way spot. With that, I think 2K servers are mind-boggled on what to do with these rosters. Because instead of making them three two-way players, they either cut someone like Davis Bertans, which was mentioned on the podcast, is a free agent in this game. He's on OKC. He plays for OKC. They have him on a free agency. They make a two-way player, a regular roster player, and then they get rid of someone, and then they make a bunch of changes. They are bad at updating. Their positions are whack. And no, I don't base my judgment on players on a 2K rating. I give them the eye test. I read some stats. I don't just use 2K ratings to make this podcast. It's frustrating Are they going to sucker me for a couple more years? Probably. But then I have to move on because they don't add any new additions. They make players who, for example, like 
Josh Primo last year. He was out of the league. Was his asking price for a contract for a person who was out of the league because he was young and had the 2K potential? He's asking for like $10 million a year to play. That's unrealistic. They don't fix that. I know there's some setting stuff that you can do with that. But it's just ridiculous. How do I how do I fix this? I can't. What am I gonna write in? They don't care. I, they make no money on my league. People don't spend VC on it, so I get why they don't care. But if you're advertising a game like this, and you have an audience for this, because there is clearly a feature for my league. All I ask is to get their rosters right. You don't have to add new features. Honestly, you don't have to fix the contract, stuff like that. Just get the rosters right. I mean, geez, how hard is it to have a third two-way player? You already have it where it's allowed to have a hardship where players have a bunch of injuries, like back in the day when Nick Young was on the Denver Nuggets. He'd have an H on his name on 2K. That would be 18 players. It was perfectly fine. You can handle 18 players. But in this case, they don't allow it. I'd also enjoy if 2K allowed me to sign a, a contract for a player and have it only partially guaranteed and have a date for that too because you can trade a player and you can see it's only partially guaranteed and you don't get to make those contracts yourself. Ronnie, what are we doing here? All right, y'all. That's just going to do it then for the podcast today. Thank you for letting me rant. There's a lot of negatives, but there's a lot of positives. All right? Knicks are turning it around. Wolves still look good. Warriors are trying to go back to 500. OKC is changing the NBA and changing um, the whole West. The Lakers are trying to make it back, but having a little struggles. There's some negatives on there. Raptors are making moves that I enjoy. I enjoy talking about this, and I thank you so much for listening. Make sure to check out the Instagram, Twitter, all that. Posting updates, posting episode links. Trying to get some content on there here soon. I apologize for the lack of it. Thank you all so much for listening. I'll talk to you later. Peace.